This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. This is Dr. Sean Benzinger with the Humerian Health Podcast. We're here today with Bond, Jeff Bond. He likes his salad shaken, not stirred. He has a license to kill bad eating habits. You only live twice, once when you're born, and once when you look death in the face. And here he is with his book on paleo diet. Paleo, in a nutshell, living and eating the way nature intended. Jeff Bond. So I leave for a day. <laughs> and that's Wait till the, you try a week. And that's the introduction that gets recorded. <laughs> I think what I heard was hashtag boys will be boys. <laughs> Thanks for that, because that actually, that actually made the start of the day. Very enjoyable. It did, it did, but it does liven up the the uh, conversation about what eating meat's about. Um, it does, but it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It but actually, I thought I'd sway it. A it little actually bit doesn't need Moving any on. enlivening. But I, the whole paleo topic is super interesting. To it me, is. So I'm it very, is. Very for ex- many thousands of years, it's been interesting. Well, not for me, thousands of years. I mean, well, different languages, <laughs> but same same topic yeah. matter. Yeah. But paleo, yeah, interesting. Very interesting, yeah. um, and hopefully we'll get a somewhat succinct uh, description of what paleo lifestyle is and how to apply it. But I, I'm really interested in learning the importance of it, right? Because there's lots of different mm-hmm. people who have lots of different theories about how to eat and what to eat and mm-hmm. what's the best for your body. And so, massive I, yeah. confusion. Atkins yeah. diet. Okay, there's one Mediterranean yeah. diet. Yeah. How far? How different is it? And unfortunately, everybody's trying to make a name for themselves. So unfortunately, they try to take diets have been around a long time and try to uh, finitely move them towards what they're selling. And I think that creates a lot of confusion. Truth is, I think what we're going to hopefully find out is something about how do they relate and how close are they, how far away are they, and I think that will really help the listener of knowing that hey, you're not like jumping into the bandwagon of Paleo or Mediterranean or Adkins or whatever diet you're on, more than likely they're all pretty close. You have to fashion it to what you need. Right, exactly. So and let's just jump we'll right in. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And wait till you leave a whole week. No, it's I'm not really now going to ever, ever leave you alone with the microphone. This is Dr. Sean Benzinger with the Humerian Health Podcast. Today we're here with uh, Mr. Jeff Bond, who has written a book called Paleo. In a nutshell, living and eating the way nature intended. So first of all, I want to take the time to thank you, Mr. Bond, for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, let's talk about this. Now, you have also authored other books, Deadly Harvest, uh, Natural Eating, and Paleo Harvest Cookbook, which I understand you've uh, authored with your wife. Indeed, yeah. That pretty much sums it up so far. Okay, so... Uh, When did you have the interest in this whole area? I mean, what created this beginning interest? And you you mentioned that you're not a a trained medical physician, but you consider yourself a paleo lifestyle anthropologist. So let's break that down and maybe a little bit of history of how you got tied into this and why you took such a keen interest in it. We need to go back quite a long time. Um, I was born during the Second World War and we were on rations. And one of the things that was interesting me as a small boy was why we were, some things were rationed and some things weren't. So uh, bacon and pork sausages were rationed, whereas we could eat as much as we liked of cabbages and, uh, and turnips and foodstuffs like that. And indeed, my parents were 
brought up and brought me up as a quasi-vegetarian and I never really understood quite why and they never had any proper answers and I was determined to, see, to find out just what to, you know what was right for human beings um, I went to university London University in the early 60s and uh, tried to learn a little about human origins and we didn't know very much about it at that time we thought Europeans were all descended from Neanderthals and we now discover that, that isn't the case uh, and so forth and it wasn't until much more recently uh, that uh, we discovered that effectively human beings are all descended from a very small group of people who lived just 2,000 generations ago on the savannas of East Africa. Meanwhile, I had been living in Africa, in West Africa, the savannas of West Africa for many years, uh, looking into all this kind of thing, but keeping my tabs on all the scientific research. And bit by bit, all the evidence started to come through that uh, we were basically living with bodies and biochemistries and with mentalities that were designed for life back then, back then, some 60,000 years ago on the savannas of uh, East Africa. And uh, it took a while to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, but by the early 1990s, I'd uh, started to put together my first uh, publications, uh, very simple self-published stuff, and was beginning to talk and lecture about it um, until by the year 2000, my first book, Natural Eating, came out. I had, in fact, been engaged by American Standard, the uh, big um, American corporation, to write a pamphlet for them back in 1999, which is still in print, um, for, for them to distribute to their employees that are particularly concerned about uh, health costs and so on, as, as is still the case, um, which they then distributed to all their employees. So this goes back a very long time. Now, interestingly, I called what I was talking about um, living the Pleistocene way. Now, the Pleistocene is a geological age which corresponds very much to the Paleolithic age. Um, and uh, bit by bit, the, in, in the mid-2000s, the word paleo suddenly became the buzzword for the sort of thing I've been talking about for 15 years. So now, um, and sort of switching um, terminologies, if you like, to become something that is more recognizable to the general public, um, I'm using the, the word paleo for what I've been talking about for all this time. Excellent. That really helps a lot. And frankly, um, you know, I've... I've been in radio for a long period of time. I don't think I've heard anyone break it down to the point and actually um, talk to someone who was actually exper experientially uh, went through mm -hmm. it. And you mentioned being in the Africas, and for some reason that influenced your thought process associated with that. Why there specifically? Because of where you think things started? Well, <clears throat> Darwin himself, fact, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Origin of Species, but it's very interesting. He speculated that probably human beings had their origins in Africa, simply because they discovered there were chimpanzees and there were um, uh, gorillas, uh, very similar sorts of species in, in, in the kinds of you know, biology that they have um, to what human beings were like. And he said species tend to all, you know, be grouped together in the same places. Now, at the time, that was a very controversial thing to say, and he didn't get a lot of thanks for saying that. Um, but, uh, uh, but um, <laughs> you know, I've been studying um, uh, biochemistry and, um, and physical anthropology, and so, yes, I decided to head off to Africa, and the opportunities were in West Africa, the savannas there. We didn't know at the time whether, you know, that this was the 
this kind of area was the birthplace. But bit by bit, the evidence was coming through. People like the Leakies were uncovering skeletons, and there was Lucy being discovered. But they were more in the other side of Africa. It didn't really matter. They were in the basic same kind of um, uh, climate, same kind of uh, vegetation, all this kind of thing. Um, but one of the things that kind of switched me, and it was became very, it was quite a hard thing for me to accept at the time, and this is a lesson that people have to have sometimes, to confront their own uh, fondly received ideas, and that was that after living in Africa for quite a long time, I discovered that people on the whole were thought vegetarianism was a ridiculous thing to be doing, and then they loved eating meat and of all kinds, and they would eat all sorts of weird things. And I found myself ending up being with these local tribes out in the villages, having to eat the gonads of the sheep or whatever, um, uh, just to be polite. Uh, discovering that this indeed was probably the way human beings were supposed to be. And then as we gradually pieced all the evidence together up until the 1980s, um, so it all became very clear what the, the particular the main lines, if you like, of the way we should be eating, not only just eating, but also other aspects of lifestyle to do with the amount of physical activity that the body expects to have, the, the amount of the kinds and the amounts of stress the body expects to have and, and so forth. And if it doesn't get these things in the right kinds of ways, then things go wrong, as we, as we know so well to our cost today. Yeah, I think modern society is proving the case of poor diets, l lack of exercise, massive amount of stress, and and chasing a ball that just uh, doesn't end up end up with with a healthy body. But let's talk about the paleo diet itself. What's the basic essence of a paleo diet? Basically, a paleo diet follower eats what? Well, basically, a paleo diet follower um, eats plant food about 75% uh, measured by volume or weight, and something like 25% of animal matter by volume or weight, but not by calories. Now, uh, now that needs, as you say, unpacking, because what do we mean by plant food? What do we mean, mean right. by animal matter? And um, when we're talking about plant food, what we're really talking about is, yes, some everything that isn't what is sometimes called um, fermentable starches and sugars. In other words, what we find is that grains, for example, are not human food. They're actually for the birds, as I sometimes say in my lectures. Um, and, and that other starches like potato aren't actually human food, at least not in the kinds of quantities we're eating them. Uh, so, the, so that's the first thing. It's more to do with what <clears throat> we focus on rather than, uh, uh, rather than what we, you know, certainly what we focus on and certainly not in terms of what we have. And we have to leave out stuff which are, we, we know very well are actually detrimental to our lifestyle and to our health. So, yes, the grains and the starches, the fermentable starches, these are the ones that rot your teeth, basically, when they get in there, the sugars. These are ones that aren't actually human food and which we would not be eating. The second big category of foods that we don't eat would be dairy. Um, as I sometimes say, again, I give many lectures to medical audiences, and uh, say, look, we think of a mammal, a newborn mammal, uh, is uh, of the species, is really an unfinished fetus. It comes out, but it's not quite ready to be a fully biologically complete uh, uh, creature yet. It has a transition period where it where the milk of the species is what feeds it uh, and brings it through to the point where it then becomes a fully biologically complete creature. Um, and so 
what I sometimes say, what on earth are we doing consuming uh, fetus finishing food for a cow? You know, are we wanting to build small brains and big horns? Uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, all right, it's a bit of a flippant way of trying to make a point. But actually, consuming dairy, in our view, and, and of course there are plenty of people who try and oppose that, um, but in our view, it was never part of the human diet until very recently, until the days perhaps only three or four hundred years ago, three or four gener hundred generations ago, when people like the Anglo-Saxons and, and the Slavs put the um, consumption of dairy products onto a sort of industrial scale where mm -hmm. it became a problem. Uh, and still it is, and dairy products are still regarded as pretty much a weird and bizarre thing to be consuming in many parts of the world, including where I was in, in the West Africa and North Africa uh, just 30 or 40 years ago. But of course, since then, um, it, the, the power of marketing has made the consumption of dairy more acceptable, even to the Chinese and, and, and Indians too. Um, the Indians of East India, I'm talking about, mm -hmm. uh, Native Americans. So uh, what, what, we're, what we're witnessing is um, a, a drift away from what e was even a better diet, perhaps even just in my lifetime, uh, drift away from it just through the powers of marketing and, and pushing through uh, unsuitable sorts of foodstuffs for all kinds of good commercial reasons. So that's, uh, so that's the second big item that we leave out, the dairy products. And um, the third one, which I never used to bother too much about, was, uh, um, was beans, until the soybean became very prevalent in our diet too. They sneak it into all kinds of products. And uh, you know, beans too uh, are not, uh, weren't, weren't part of our traditional diet, they, and they have the problems. They have the problems particularly of anti-nutrients that our bodies aren't adapted to, uh, and allergens of various kinds that our bodies are not adapted to. And so basically bean products are not uh, human food or paleo food either. So we do tend to focus, yes, on the salads, on the vegetables, on the on fruits of various kinds, uh, as in terms of vegetable matter, plant food, and and as, as for the animal matter is concerned, well, there are almost uh, most things that come from animals is okay, but we do tend to steer clear a little bit of the pork and the lamb purely because at the moment their fatty acid profile just uh, isn't the one that our body recognizes too well. And as we know, it is problematic for our health. Now, does that include beef also? Is that you kind of lean away from beef? I, I, I kind of put beef into this uh, uh, yeah, ambivalent category because for two reasons. First of all, ranchers are getting much more cute about uh, feeding the cows on the right kind of foodstuffs. Um, and, and for one thing, corn is not a suitable food for cows either, any more than it is for beings. Um, so grass is, uh, is better, although cows are actually browsers. They would normally, if they were out in the African savannas, if they were the you know, the bullocks and so on out in the African savannas, they would be consuming, um, they would be browsing in the bushes and the leaves and the trees. They get different kinds of uh, nutrition. Some very interesting studies done on that back in the 1960s which in, and published in The Lancet, which drew my attention to just how much the, um, the fatty acid profile of a buffalo taken from the African savannas compared to an Africa, uh, a buffalo on the ordinary grass plains of the African savannas and one in the London Zoo, um, where the fatty acid profile was totally changed for the worse yep. the more you moved away from the 
uh, from its natural habitat. So, uh, so there's the way they're fed is the one thing. And the second thing is, yes, down through the millennia, since the first cows were um, uh, bred from the aurochs, which was the original creature, uh, they've gradually changed the, the way they are. They've changed the fatty acid profile and the amount of fat, the marbling and the meat and this kind of thing. So, um, so but broadly speaking, beef, the kind of fats that are in beef, um, the body either ignores because it happens to be in a funny part of the triglyceride molecule, so the body doesn't actually use it too much, or it's, um, it's just not a lot of it. So beef is, is one of those in, in, in that sort of in the waiting room to become acceptable. Otherwise, we're just talking about <clears throat> the usual seafood of almost any kind. We're talking about um, uh, poultry of any kind, but we do steer clear of the of the uh, battery hens, chickens, they really have a terrible, apart from the terrible life they have, it's a, it's a terrible fatty acid profile, tend to focus more on uh, on the turkey, the duck and the goose and that kind of thing, or indeed the wild game if you can get it. And from time to time, if you want, you can go for the exotic meats, you can go for the, the bison or the buffalo or the uh, or venison, you know, that's always a good option. Well, in the States, um, like my backyard has like 10 trees, so I've got nothing to shoot back there. So I'm going to have to, <laughs> so I guess I'm going to have to move and, and find find a, a few trees. And at least I'll be able to shoot a squirrel or something like that. And, and frankly, what's funny about it is when I, uh, when I was raised, my mother would literally come home and look at my dad and say, you know, I'm kind of hungry, hungry for a, a rabbit. And he'd say, okay, get a shotgun and go out back. You'd hear a few <laughs> shots. He'd come back, two rabbits, and she'd cook them up. That's what we'd have for dinner. And it was just so odd. We ate everything. Squirrels, the whole thing. I mean, no muskrat. Those were too greasy, but everything else. So, yeah, it, it, it is not even that long ago that um, a lot of people and many people in the United States still eat that way. Problem is majority of the public that live in the city are forced into uh, this um, governmental-driven change of diet, which has now promoted a very, very unhealthy society. And as you know, um, you almost have to go to Africa and places like that where they didn't have um, modernization, so thus they eat the basic foods. And I, I, I think that probably does align with the diet, a paleo diet, more frequently, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, as you say, it's the, it's the alienation that we have now in our cities in particular from just our natural world. Um, and it, it, it applies to stress too. We, we know that the people who live in the concrete jungle mm -hmm. are just neurotic, you know, have more psychosis than people who just surrounded in, in, in the green leafy suburbs or out in the countryside, that we need the green spaces. We need that environment which reminds us of our homeland, this, this, the, the wide open spaces and the, the trees and the greenery and so on. And, uh, and it really is very unnatural to be living in big cities. Uh, yeah, so I haven't got any easy answers except to say, well, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the decisions I made a very long time ago was that I wasn't going to live in a place which didn't have a lot of sunshine and palm trees. And, um, you picked and so it. You know, I've lived in the subtropics or the tropics for most of my life. Um, so, uh, so, uh, but the thing is to actually get out into the, into the light, you know, we need the light. Um, I, some, I 
spent, we've lived for quite a few years in Palm Springs in California, which is a very sunny, light place with plenty of palm trees, but I couldn't believe how many people were, you know, I would meet with pasty faces who stayed indoors all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. That's called dermatologist fright, frightening people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was so funny is, and you know this, uh, if you look at the research, <clears throat> people who live around the equator have the least amount of skin cancer. The people that live the furthest away from the equator have the greatest amounts of skin cancer, but they don't ever tell you that. And it's just the strangest thing that the, the need for sunshine, vitamin D, and those type of things is, is a huge issue. But I did want to uh, mention one thing. One thing that I remember um, cutting a program, it would be quite a few years ago, but they had uh, completed a study where they had looked at the 1900s in the United States in which um, cows were grazed then in grass. There was no grain that they were fed. Chickens then just ate worms and whatever they could find in the fields, et cetera, et cetera. And they used to average around 1,500 omega-3 oils per day in their diet just by eating off their farms. And right. it's it estimated right now omega-3s sit at about 300 in uh, today's society unless supplemented because bottom line is just not the food anymore. So it makes sense that eating this way is is driving those omega-3s and those anti-inflammatory foods to a level that probably are very protective. And of course, your vegetarian-based diet and your fruits and vegetables are all the antioxidants and healthy, healthy foods associated with it. To me, it's commonsensical. It really is. But it really doesn't fit a modern um, a modern society that's trying to cram people on top of people, is it? So the the the, the issue is how how do we how do we swing people into this realization, and understanding, and are in more of a city environment? Because I'm sorry, the country folk that kind of know this, that's kind of what they do, um, and it's relatively easy for them to do it. But when you look at the big cities, it's very tough. I mean, you were in London. I mean, was it tough to eat this way? Oh uh, well. I think the, the essential message that people have to get is, first of all, get control of your food supply. And that means, uh, yes, well, you can shop for lettuce and you can shop for tomatoes and you can shop for all these all these basic things in an ordinary supermarket, actually. Um, uh, when you're talking about eggs, that's an interesting point you make there about eggs. And naturally, a chicken's egg would be very rich in omega-3s. Correct. But of course, the way they, they produce them these days, mostly the battery hens and so forth, um, they just don't have the omega-3s in them. Uh, whereas, as you say, the ones that are wandering freely around the farm, and if you can get pasture-fed eggs, and I, you know, I've, I've come to America every year and on a little lecture tour, and um, I, I check it out at some of the more um, upmarket supermarkets. They have these pasture-fed eggs, Correct. which claim to have the various, uh, um, which claim to have the omega threes more or less in balance with the omega sixes and so on. So I, I think you just have to have mindful shopping and and be prepared to spend that little bit more on your food. Um, I mean, one of the issues is, is uh, one of the figures is that I was really struck by a few years back was that in the 1950s, when I was a young boy, really, uh, 60s, a fact, the average family in Britain, but it was a similar sort of state in America, would spend something like 30, 35% of its income on food. Today, that's gone down to about 8% of their income on food. Now, all we're talking about is, hey, just bump that up to from 8% to 10% and just pay a little bit extra for the, for the right kind of foods that, you, that, that, uh, that are going to make all the difference between living um, a, a degenerate kind of lifestyle and one which is making one that your body recognizes and which is the body accepts joyfully. 
You know, what's funny about this is that there's studies on all kinds of things, such as um, there was, um, uh, what do they call them? It's an officer. When somebody comes out of jail uh, and, and they are trying to get uh, reassimilated into society, and it was actually this this uh, individual that made gave them a diet and said, you follow this diet, I won't throw you back in jail. And... Uh, and actually got away with this, did this trial for about 100 different people coming out of uh, out of jail. And the ones that followed it, 85% did not go back into jail over five years. And the ones really? that went right back to the junk food junkie diet literally went back to jail at the same percentage, around 80 to 85%, and showing and demonstrating that eating a quality diet that feeds the needs of the body instead of having basically a synthetic garden of chemicals that then skews the mind and unsettles the body, creates this undue stress, actually change behaviorally as well as disease processes. And uh, they've seen it in schools. Uh, they start feeding the kids in the morning healthy breakfast because sometimes <laughs> these kids don't have them at their home, uh, period, or get a Pop-Tart. And that's the number one, I, uh, whether you know this or not, the number one food for kids in the United States mm. is Pop-Tarts. Uh, if you can imagine, that's a food. <laughs> but we give it to them and we want them to go study. But if they just fed them breakfast and it was one based pretty much on a paleo, uh, such as a, a, a tomato and, and eggs and those types of foods, um, right. their grade point went up one entire grade point within, uh, f- within three months. Um, it makes a difference. So when I saw your book come on through, it, to me it made sense. I do want to ask you one thing. You have authored mm-hmm. several books. What's changed? Well, um, believe it or not, uh, the basic principles have stayed very much the same from the from, from the first book, the you know, main published book that came out in the year two thousand. That's seventeen years ago. Natural eating. <clears throat> I then wrote a, a, a more specialized, well, I say specialized, it was a more detailed book and a, a much more comprehensive book. I call it the Bible, really, of, uh, of what I do, uh, and that was called Deadly Harvest. Uh, and it was all fully referenced and everything. It was the sort of thing that doctors could trust, as they say, and, and so forth. Um, and um, every each time I wrote the book, and now this, this paleo in a nutshell is really um, a sort of Reader's Digest version of, 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 of Deadly Harvest. In other words, it cuts out all the sort of supporting detail and supporting science and just, because people by now have come to accept the idea of paleo, they just say, yeah, just tell me what I have to do. So this is more of a practical hands-on thing, uh, trying to say, well, this is why we're doing it and, and this is how you do it. Uh, and each time I revise all this is that, uh, you know, I go through, uh, I'm I mean, you may have noticed I do a monthly briefing uh, and I keep up to date the whole time with this torrent of information that keeps coming through the various studies, making sure I keep up to date with it all. But so there are little tweaks and little things, little changes of emphasis that go in. I mean, in my very first book, I didn't worry too much about beans, as I said, but the, sh- the emphasis has shifted a bit more on that. Um, but, uh, but more t- particularly, I tend to address 
areas where I discover over time that people need more help uh, in unexpected ways. You know, sometimes I just assume people know things and then I find they don't or and I do need to explain some things better and other things I, I don't need to explain in such the same way. But broadly speaking, the main, the main principles have, haven't changed at all in all that time. It's just that they're getting more and more user-friendly and perhaps they're just, uh, just a little bit more, uh, well, I'd always bang up to date. Okay, I have three final questions. You ready? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds ominous, doesn't it? It's like, oh, watch out. Okay. Um, okay, compare as best as you can, because I'm sure you've been asked this a few thousand times, Mediterranean-based diet comparison to a paleo diet. What is significantly different and what is common? Right. Well, you know, funny enough, living in the Mediterranean and uh, in, a, in a Greek in a Greek island, um, and not far really from where Ansel Keys stayed in Crete, where he got his inspiration for the Mediterranean diet. Mm -hmm. um, I've I, I've seen my for myself uh, just how things have changed incredibly. Uh, for the worse in these Mediterranean islands. But looking at back to what how people lived back then, the Mediterranean diet was one where they didn't eat very much. These people were hungry a lot of the time. They worked all their lives until, and this would be right through their 70s and 80s, whenever uh, they were called, uh, they, they, they worked and with physical work. Um, thirdly, they uh, didn't eat much in the way of bread but that is one area where you know let's say that isn't paleo um they ate plant food and they had a lot of seafood mm -hmm. and all this is absolutely spot on um so the mediterranean diet uh, as such you know they didn't eat much dairy either uh, that's the other thing yeah. so uh, so uh, the mediterranean diet isn't far off actually what we're talking about correct um, and uh, this is why uh, it, quite rightly it's becoming, you know, it's been studied a little bit more. It's been, uh, you know, examined a lot more, and and it's quite rightly been found to be a far better option, for example, than the um, the, the American Cardiologist Association or Heart Association diet, or better than the, you know, all the various other kinds of diets that are put out there by the often by medical authorities, or even, of course, the USDA diet, um, it's actually quite, it is a very good approximation, but it's not entirely there. Got it. Okay. Way back when, and now he is deceased uh, at this point, Dr. Atkins came out with the Atkins diet. Um, right. Which, of course, every American took the principles of the Atkins diet and, of course, um, excuse me, but bastardized it and to think that, yeah, you're supposed to do two weeks of great uh, just eating fats and proteins, but then you were supposed to move to mostly a vegetarian, I mean, a Mediterranean-based diet, pretty close to a paleo-based diet. It was fruits, vegetables. Um, and meats uh, and, and nuts and berries. And, and that's where he wanted you to go. But of course, Americans just skipped that part and uh, just kept going two weeks, uh, two months, uh, two years eating, you know, bacon and eggs as their, you know, their common diet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that used to make him so mad because I would interview him. He says, you know, this is kind of what everybody's doing. He says, oh, it, it's killing me. He says, that's what people actually think the diet is. And to me, it looked like to me that Dr. Adkins, uh, God rest his soul, uh, kind of took the paleo diet and kind of tried to manipulate it to be his diet. Uh, what's your feelings on that? Well, I put it this way. Yeah, I was certainly following his, uh, followed 
what he was his writings and his teachings uh, uh, keeping up to, to speed with what he was doing at the time and of course he was one of the first people one of the other people to put his finger on um, uh, on carbohydrates or starches and you know the fermentable carbohydrates right. uh, as being um, you know a bit of a devil thing to be getting rid of um, one of the areas where I certainly from what I saw of him in the early days anyway was mm-hmm. that he didn't pay a lot of attention to the type of fats people were consuming. Correct. Uh, and this was where he was, um, you know, people then thought they could pig out on bacon, on pork sausages and so on. Um, and I think that was, um, you know, in my view, this was um, an error. There's a problem with the particular fats in pork in particular to lamb to some a lesser extent and as I said to beef a slightly lesser extent. There's a problem with those fats and they are a problem uh, you know particularly with cardiovascular diseases and now you know I don't know if Atkins himself was following what he said but you know he, he died really prematurely of a cardiovascular event as I understand it. Yep absolutely that's usually what happens isn't it uh, the worst part of a diet if you're the one that puts your name to it is if you die of something that's from that diet it's hard to believe it anymore isn't it <laughs> Well, it, it, it does cast a shadow. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Um, okay. All right. Um, let's um, tell the folks exactly where they can pick up the book um, and then go from there. Right. Well, you can certainly get Palo in a Nutshell it's on Amazon, and you can just you know, dial in Palo in a Nutshell by Jeff Bond, and you'll find it there. You'll find it on my own website, www.jeffbond.com. And you will also find it with the publishers, Square One out of New York, and they're uh, squareonepublishers.com. So uh, you can find that book either way, any of those various ways, or of course in any good bookshop, as they say. Excellent. Paleo in a Nutshell, Living and Eating the Way Nature Intended, author Jeff Bond. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time being with us today. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope that we can call you back in the future and have you on as a special guest uh, and be able to continue to clarify this and focus on helping people eat right and have healthier lives. Well, that'd be a real pleasure, Doctor. We've, we've just spared, just looked at the tip of the iceberg and there's a whole lot more that we could, I'd love to talk to you about. I would look forward to that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. So that was super interesting. I liked it, but I did it. <laughs> of course you did. And actually, I have to say, I'm kind of bummed that I missed the official interview, but having listened to it mm-hmm. and read a little bit more about what he was talking about, I mean, lots of great stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So first of all, paleo lifestyle anthropologist, that's cool. It is. Um, and the I fact think that- he made I mean, it up. No, he didn't. Okay. So, but the, that whole like historical study of, you know, human biochemistry and anthropology and mm-hmm. where we came from- it's maybe the most in-depth information that I have heard in a succinct way about why this lifestyle makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, and it's a lifestyle that my husband and I attempt to follow. I would say we're not completely compliant to it, but have seen some positive effects of it. And it was interesting to hear why that actually works. Absolutely. The science behind it. Then Adkins, not too far different. Yeah. Uh, Then Mediterranean, not too far different. Mm -hmm. And I think that really helps then the audience get an understanding that, hey, 
you need to be able to take these diets. It's not perfection because that creates a huge amount of stress and lack of follow through. And that's mm-hmm. what we're not, we're trying not to do as right. a podcast of, well, here's perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're going to fail. How many people start it? They fail on one thing because cheesecake on <laughs> Friday night at 10 o'clock, they Chocolate think they can't get up cookies. Saturday morning and start, no. <laughs> start moving forward and they can. That's right. the whole thing. Right. Well, and interesting, we've talked about this on other podcasts too, though, this idea that we've drifted away from healthy lifestyle because of marketing. Yes. Right? And, that, keep and it was off. super interesting to think that now it's affecting other cultures other than just life here in the US, which is mm-hmm. very fascinating. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I mean, anyway, lots of, lots of good topics. Right. And, um, and to your point that, that I think is, is very valid is this, I, and I've done this off and on for many years, he knows that he knows and he knows. I mean, he's done the research. He's not uh, putting together, pulling together some, uh, you know, research, and they write a book. Right. I, I'm sorry, but that is not the authors we're looking for. Right. We're looking, to, and and he is he is by far. I mean, he's 110. No, no, he isn't. <laughs> no, honestly, I think he he I think he's in his 70s. He looks like he's in his late 40s. Yeah. I mean, if that doesn't tell you something, his his wife being 80 years old, that is living a great life, good bone structure, which should be greatly diminished at that point. Um, he's living it. That always encourages me too. So right. I think a, a great book, uh, well educated, uh, well defined, and uh, I think he had solid information. Absolutely, felt good about it. Absolutely. Well, and like all of our authors, they've been kind enough to work with us on some promotions and giveaways. So definitely, you'll want to check out our Facebook page and follow us and keep up to date on all the authors that we talk to. Um, but Jeff Bond yes. in particular, uh, very interesting. Yeah, interesting it, interview. And we're also setting up just so the listeners know, uh, we're trying to set these folks up for the possibility of being able to come back if, in fact, there's a question. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, And that is a difference than, hey, we do a show, and gee, that's cool, and whatever. We're trying to tie you together with the best in the world. You'll start hearing German physicians and experts from different countries that have different points of view on treatment, and we're going to try to tie you together so that you can be on our Facebook and actually ask questions and us get back to them and and, and actually actually hear those cuts, and you'll be able to uh, communicate and hopefully – be able to reach out to them, right. uh, which I don't think – in fact, I know no one else is doing. Absolutely. Yep. Another great day. It was. The Health Podcast. It was wonderful. <laughs> and, and I was wondering when you were taking your next day off. Never. Because see what happens when I leave. I think that's wise. Mm-hmm. Hashtag mm-hmm. stay with the business. <laughs> we want to thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. That's right. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. <laughs>